Amen. The answer for all of us is it's still the cross. For those that are unsaved, the answer is the cross. For us who are saved, it helps us to go back to that cross and see the very thing that hung him there, and it was our sin. So all the kids from sixth grade down can be dismissed, and all those that think that you're sixth grade and down, you're still stuck with me, all right? Uh, so sixth grade and down, you can be dismissed outside uh, in their classroom with my wife. Well, we've enjoyed uh, our, our time here so far. Uh, it's been, been enjoyable. Uh, Brother Nate made some, some good brisket chili, uh, and so I, I wanted the whole, the whole pot, but um, if I did that, I would probably be 600 pounds, and I don't really want to do that, uh, but it was, it was tremendous. Uh, we were able to go over today to, to Brother Larry, and show, he showed us some of the toys that he makes, and I felt like my inner child was coming out. I, I was, if I had stayed there any longer, I probably would have stayed out in his garage playing with all of them. Uh, but we've enjoyed to, to get to know each and every one of you. And thank you so much for all those who have uh, fed us. And I tell you, we are fed up, all right? Uh, and so we still got two more days, but we're looking forward to getting to know more of you uh, and enjoying the wonderful cooking. And so let's take our Bibles, turn to Acts chapter number one. Acts chapter number one this evening. Acts chapter number 1. We'll read just a couple verses, then we'll get into the message this evening. Acts chapter number 1, let's begin reading in verse number 12. It says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. When they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter, James, and John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. Verse number 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his Brethren, this evening I want to preach a message that I've entitled The Church That the Devil Can't Stop. What does it take to become a church that the devil can't stop? You see, we have an enemy. The Bible says in 1 Peter, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We see that, that the, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's the, the, the role of the church in society. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. Thank God for the promise that he gave to Peter. He said to Peter, upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And so we have that promise. But understand that the devil tries to use his tricks, tries to use his, his wiles, his fiery darts, to try to get us as a church to be sidetracked. And so I want us to look here from the example of the early church of what does it take for us tonight to become a church that the devil can't stop. But before we get into it, can we pray? Father, we come to you. We're thankful for the chance that we can to worship you this evening. And Lord, I pray that tonight that you would, Lord, soften our hearts. Lord, that we would be tender to the Spirit of God, your Spirit's leading and, and poking and prodding in our hearts and our lives. And Lord... If there's something that shouldn't be there, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would remove it. Lord, if there's something that we need to add into our life, God, please help us to, to, to add that in, become the, the Christian that you intend for us to be. Lord, we ask this in your name, I pray. 
Amen. Growing up in, in Illinois, I had three, three older brothers, so I was the youngest. I was the perfect angel of the family, as most youngest are. And so uh, three older brothers, we got in a, a lot of mischief. We, we grew up out in the, the countryside, and so we lived in the middle of cornfields and bean fields, and uh, it was uh, enjoyable. We got to ride go-karts and snowmobiles and just enjoy the typical country living, which most of you, uh, I'm sure, this, this evening know what that's like and enjoy it. And so uh, uh, that was one thing that I loved about my childhood is the, the place that we grew up. But there on the, the mile stretch of road there out in the country, there was about a few, few just small cluster of houses. And there was across the street, there was a neighborhood uh, girl by the name of Mari. A couple doors down, there was Miranda. And these uh, two girls became, became really our friends throughout our childhood. And I remember the, one of the things that, that our friends, when we're at school, what they loved is they loved any opportunity that they could come and have uh, coming over to our house because uh, they lived in the city and so they didn't really know a whole lot about uh, country living. And so uh, it was just a blessing and an awesome thing to invite our friends over and, and allow them to enjoy the, uh, the pleasures and the amazing aspects about the countryside. And so uh, I remember the, the many times that they would come over, we... Uh, had about a, a half a mile down the road, there was a culvert that went under the road with, where uh, the, the farmer's field, the, the water would drain out. And so there was a, a culvert there, and it was about three, three feet or so high. And, and also there was a tree. And so what we did as, as guys, as boys, we, we got the army paint on and we got the camos. And what we would do is we'd crawl out into that ditch in the, the farmer's field and we would army crawl and act like we were in the military about a quarter mile all the way to that, uh, to that little culvert. And that place ended up becoming our hangout spot. I mean, that se it seems like every time we were down there, whether we were army crawling or we would just get on our bikes and we would head out to that place, and that was our hangout spot. But the day came when, sadly, Mari and Miranda decided that they were going to claim it as their hangout space. And I don't know if you know this, but girls have cooties, especially to, to 12-year-old uh, boys. And, and so we, we really didn't want them to be in our space. And so what they did is when we weren't down there, they, uh, with a couple of their friends, would go down there and they would put some, some rocks up and they would kind of decorate it and they would take chalk down there and draw on the rocks and they nicknamed it for themselves as the beach, which is very wishful thinking in Illinois. There's no, no such thing as a beach. But that's what they, they called it. And so this was their hangout spot. They loved it. They loved uh, the, to, to hang out there. But for us guys, we weren't going to let the neighborhood girls take over our awesome spot. And so many times what would happen is that the girls would go down and dress it up and make it to what they wanted it to be. And then when they got done, we would hop on our bikes and we would go down there and we would mess up everything that they did. Then they would go, go back a few days later and fix it back up, and then as they were trying to watch to see if we were doing anything, that's when we got the, the camo on, and we snuck out behind our house into the, the culvert, and we, we crawled over there so they couldn't see us, and then we messed it up again, and so this battle went on for weeks, going back and forth, back and forth. We didn't want them to take over our hangout spot. This was ours, and so we weren't going to let the, 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 the ladies uh, uh, ruin our hangout spot and defeat us, and this is how intense the battle got. My, my brother, we had a, a kind of the Tour de France kind of bikes, the ones that had the really skinny tires and uh, has the curved handlebars. And 
So we decided to see if the girls had gone down there to, to mess up our, our spot again. And so we had my brother get on the bike, the, my, my next in line brother, Aaron, and he got on the bike and he began to ride down there. And he went to go, go come back and report to us. And so he went down and he made his, made his way. And so me and another friend of mine, we were waiting for him to come back and report. But what was interesting is that in the, the, the house in front of us where Mari lived, at the end of their driveway, they had an old wooden wagon, kind of like a covered wagon, but it just didn't have the cover on it. And so what happened, uh, unbeknownst to us, the girls had gotten different uh, corn stalks and different ears of corn and dirt clods from the field, and they threw it all in the, into the, the wagon, and they hopped in there and climbed in. And their plan was, was about to unfold what they were intending to do with that. And so my brother, sure enough, is pedaling away. He's heading back home. And right as he's rounding into our gravel driveway, Michael, the girls pop up out of the wagon and they just begin to unload all that they had. And because the, the bike wasn't a very stable bike, he ended up wiping out in the gravel. And so after that point, it was on. We were not going to let them take our hangout spot. Now, I'm happy to report that eventually we won. They just finally gave up and all God's people said, amen, right? We were victorious. You could say it this way. For us as, as young, young guys, we were not going to let anything stop us from keeping our hangout spot. When we come to the Word of God, I believe that as the pillar and ground of the truth, in the fact that we have an enemy that likes to take our testimony and drag it through the mud, that wants to hinder and diminish the light of a church in a community, I want us to look here at Acts chapter 1 and also in Acts chapter number 2 and see what does it truly take to become a church that the devil can't stop. Notice first tonight is the use of the church. The use of the church. Would you say that with me? The use of the church. Look at Acts chapter number, number 1, verse number 14. It says, these all continued with one accord, get it, in prayer and supplication. You see, there was one thing that they knew and that they were waiting for. Remember Jesus told them in John 14, 15, and 16, that when he ascends, he will send another like himself, another comforter. And so they were waiting for the Holy Spirit of God to come and comfort them and get it, empower them. As we come to Acts chapter number 1, verse number 1, it says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus. So Luke is writing, and he says of the things Jesus began both to do and to teach. Verse number 3, he tells us that Jesus in his resurrection was seen by a multitude of people. By, as the, the end of that verse says, or the middle of that verse, by many infallible proofs. Jesus then, in verse number, 14, or verse number 4 through verse number 8, he's now going to commission his church, and he's instructing his disciples. He's a familiar passage, maybe you haven't memorized, but Jesus says in verse number 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. See, they were waiting for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God to do what? To be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and ultimately unto the uttermost part of the earth. Verse number 9 through 11, we see that Jesus is now ascending into heaven, and the disciples there are gazing up into heaven, and two men in white apparel speak there from heaven and say, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? You see, from the time where Jesus was resurrected to this point where he was ascending into heaven was a total of 40 days. 
40 days. Jesus showed himself in 1 Corinthians 15 tells us at one time that over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. And so we see that Jesus is, has seen, we've seen that he's resurrected and there's many proofs, many infallible proofs that Luke mentions that were seen of, this, of Jesus who resurrected. But get it, when we come to Acts chapter number 2, it's known as the day of what? The day of Pentecost. That simply means the 50th day. So get it, from the day that Jesus resurrected, day number 40, to Pentecost, day number 50, how many days in, are, are entail in that? 10, all right? 10. We don't have to be math scholars to know that there are 10 days between when Jesus, resurrect, or when Jesus ascended into heaven and to the day of Pentecost came. But get it, they did not realize and they did not know that the Holy Spirit of God was going to come that day of Pentecost. But get it, this is the posture of those believers in the upper room. Here it was. They were gathered in prayer. In prayer. You see, the most powerful weapon that we have is the weapon of prayer. But you know, to become a church that the devil can't stop, ultimately to become a Christian that the devil can't stop, what the devil likes to do is he likes to take his ugly foot and stick it in the door of the church, in the door of your heart and in mine, and get us to be a, a person of prayerlessness. Because he knows that a prayerless Christian is ultimately a powerless Christian. And so what the devil tries to do, even to diminish the, the influence a church has, is to get them to not pray. To not pray. Let me ask you, how's your prayer life this evening? You see, there are many things by, uh, trying, to, trying to get our attention. We've got work, we've got family, we've got sports, we've got all sorts of different, different things trying to, trying to pull us in each and every direction, but understand that that does not give us a bypass to neglect this powerful avenue of prayer. And so the Bible speaks much about prayer. Matthew 6, 6, it says this, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. And I'm convinced that many, many times the reason why we give into temptation so much is because we have a church and we, there are Christians that are more apt to try to do this thing of life on their own than to use the weapon of prayer. Jesus said, watch and pray. Why? So that you do not enter into temptation. Hey, are you struggling with temptations? Are you dealing with temptation from this preacher up front to you down there in the pew? No matter who it is, we all face temptation. And understand, temptation is not the sin. It becomes a sin when we give in to that temptation. But as temptation comes knocking on the door of our hearts, get it, the first thing we must do to escape that temptation is drop down on our knees and begin to pray and ask the Lord to help us in the midst of that temptation. Jeremiah 33.3, it says this, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou, get it, knowest not. You see, the amazing thing is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself, invites us into the very throne room. Hebrews 4, it says this, Let us come boldly unto the throne of what? Grace. 
Have you ever thought about it? Here it is. The God of heaven instructs his children, those that have been saved, those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He tells us that if we have any request to go to the throne room of grace. Some things and some ways that will transform your prayer life is instead of being a 911 call, let it be a time of communion with your Heavenly Father. You see, if we're not careful, we think that this, this powerful tool of prayer, the powerful weapon of prayer, is only for in dire situations when we're struggling with certain things. When we, when we have a, a, a prayer list, and although God does want to hear our prayers, God wants to answer our prayers according to His will, but get it, prayer is far much more than that. And when you understand that, it begins to transform that time that you realize that I'm supposed to be spending with Him as a Christian. Can I challenge you in a couple ways in this area of, of personal prayer? We see that, that each and every one of us, according to the Bible, should personally have a prayer life. Let me ask you, do you? Do you personally have one? Is there a place that you go to spend time with your God? Maybe it's in the car on the way to work. Maybe it's a specific place in your home. Maybe it's there in your shop. Maybe it's a specific place uh, at your work. But no matter where it is, every single one of us need to have a place that we spend time with God, personally, on a personal level. Let me ask you, do you have it? Or have you allowed the devil to take his foot and stick it and have a foothold in your life? Because why? He knows a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. He wants you to think that your sufficiency is of yourself and not of God. But get it, we find that the Bible says our sufficiency is actually of God. And it's nothing that we can do. And so we must personally have a time of prayer. Do you have it? Can I challenge you a couple aspects of, of a prayer life that will transform? Is first, begin your prayers with praise. Begin your prayers with praise. You see, when we begin to pray, instead of going and bringing our list, remember, God desires for that, but get it, it's so much more than that. And when we comprehend and when we understand that as Christians, it begins to change our lives. And so begin your prayers with praise. Begin with addressing Him, God, thank you so much for being a faithful God. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, thank you for your mercy. And just really, we go down the line of whatever you're thankful for and you praise him for. Maybe it's a, a blessing or who or characteristic of who he is. Because get it, this is how it transforms it. You see, before we come with our list, Michael, when we begin to address our prayers with praise and we begin to see how big and how mighty our God is, what begins to happen is we see how great he is when we begin to praise then when we come to our request, they seem a lot smaller compared to a mighty God. And so when we praise, we see, wow, my God is the God of the impossible. And so then when you come to the, the time of, uh, uh, of prayer requests, making your petitions before God, wow, those, those little things, maybe big things in our minds, begin to become small. Why? because you're recognizing how mighty and how great your God is. Not only begin with praise, but follow that with repentance. 
make sure your heart is clean before God. That's why it's so important to keep short accounts with God because, get it, sin hinders our prayers from getting to, uh, to the throne. If I regard iniquity in my heart, get it, the Lord will not hear me. Hey, I don't care how good and how fancy you can pray. If there's sin in your heart tonight, guess what? Your prayers don't mount to a hill of beans. So we must repent. Get right with God. Come humbly and, and, and get clean before Almighty God. And then from there, the next step is to then bring your request before Him. Then spend that time. Okay, God, here's my request. And then after you make your petitions before God, lastly, yield them to Him. Say, God, I have all these requests, but God, you must answer them according to your will. But not only personally should we have a time of prayer, but also corporately we should be praying. As a church. That means not having the little clicks here and there of I'm just going to pray with this select few people. Get it? As the body of Christ, we are called to be a church that prays. Jesus said this, My house shall be known as a house of, get it, not money, not activities, but get it, a house of prayer. But all over this world, there are churches that are trying to do, 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 go to the church growth conferences, go to this, go to that, and yet they neglect the most powerful thing, the most powerful weapon that they have at their disposal, and it's thing, this thing of prayer. It's been said, you know how, power, how, uh, how popular your pastor is by who comes on the Sunday morning. It's been said that you know how popular the church is by who comes on Sunday night. And it's said that you know how popular God is by who attends the prayer meeting. Let me ask you, corporately as a church, do you have a time set aside to pray? Yes, we have Wednesday night service, the, the, the prayer time, but many times what happens, we've been in, in churches all over this country. I don't know what you're accustomed to do because I haven't been here on Wednesday night, but you know what happens a lot of times on Wednesdays in churches? They say it's the prayer and Bible time, but there's more Bible time than there is actual prayer. No wonder why we don't see revival in our church. No wonder why we don't see revival in our nation. Because God's house has no longer been known as a house of prayer. And by God's help and God's grace, God, would you change that tonight? God, would you help us corporately as a church to come together and bring our petitions before Almighty God because He is worthy and He invites us into that. But get it, this thing of corporate prayer even goes to the extent of Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night coming with a ready and open heart and begging and pleading God before the service even comes. God, would you work in a mighty way? God, would you empower our pastor to preach with the Holy Spirit unction? God, would you do something mighty in our midst? Corporate prayer. You see, to become a church that the devil can't stop, there must be the use of the church. Are you using it? Notice next, number two, the next way to be a church the devil can't stop is notice number two is the unction of the church the unction of the church first john says this you have an unction from the holy one unction simply means this power let me ask you and you can you can respond out loud what was it in acts one that they were waiting for and anticipating what was it the spirit of god more specifically, the power of the, the Holy Spirit of God. And so now, ten days 
they're gathered in this upper room. Can you imagine? Now, I, I don't know if it was a consistent morning and night. They stayed in that upper room for all 10 days or if they gathered and then reconvened later the next day. I, I don't know what it is, but, but nonetheless, they were gathered in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit of God to come. Now, let's take, for instance, here in Acts 1, there's 120 people. There are not 120 here tonight, but let's say for the sake of illustration, the next 10 days, we're stuck in this room. We're here in this building. Now, how many would be honest and not be super spiritual because it doesn't even matter? How many would say somebody eventually in 10 days is going to drive you up a wall, okay? Don't point to your wife. Don't do that. No. Uh, somebody is going to uh, be driven up a wall. Why? Because being stuck in this place for 10 days, uh, we're going to begin to learn things about one another. We're going to be able to, to, to interact with one another on a consistent basis. And so what begins to happen is it, it begins to, to, to be a, a struggle, that, that here it is. We would find that this person over here would get mad at this person. This person over here would get mad at this person. But here it is. They're, they're gathered in this upper room nonetheless. And we'll see here in a moment in unity. But notice here in Acts chapter number 2. Would you look at it? Look at Acts chapter number 2. We find here they're gathered in the upper room. And let's see what takes place. And when the day of Pentecost, which is day 50, 50th day came, was fully come... There were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty, rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And get it, verse number four, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now let me pause just for a moment before we go any farther. When we come to Acts chapter number 2, I don't know what it is, Brother Armstead, but we kind of kind of get on edge a little bit. Because we see the, the denominations that really hijack the, 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 the Holy Spirit, and they overemphasize the Holy Spirit. And it, a lot of times, boils down to Acts chapter number 2. And so, Brother Brian, what the devil likes to do, is he likes us to get to go from one extreme to the next. And so, because we don't want to be identified with this group over here, we pendulum swing all the way over to here where we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's in the Bible. Yes, we may mention it a few times, but because we don't want to be identified with that side, we come over here and we neglect the power that the Spirit of God wants to show to each and every one of us. But get it, life in general is all about balance. You see, a lot of times what happens is because we, we go from one extreme to the next, we miss out on the power that the Holy Spirit of God wants for, to have in our lives. He wants to have that control. We see that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, and gentleness. And this should characterize our life. And so we must tap into the power source. Here it was. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit of God. And so we see that, that the rushing mighty wind came. And then the cloven tongues of fire. Uh, the fire sat upon their head. Now let's say this evening that all of a sudden a breeze starts blowing and you're accustomed to breezes here in nebraska i can tell you that let's say a breeze begins to to blow you say well nate who who left the the window open somebody closed the window you look around there there's nothing hmm, that's weird then all of a sudden sitting in front of you just a little ball of fire sits upon the person in front of you's head what you would do is you'd tanner 
there's fire on their head. Some of you would go, <laughs> you would try and wave it off. Some of you would take your suit coats off and you'd drape it over their head. You would try to figure out what in the world is going on, but here it is. This is what characterized this. And then the, the speaking of tongues, which we'll see here in a moment what that, that was used for. And the Holy Spirit of God comes and empowers the church. You see, speaking in tongues has ceased. We see the reason why is one, it was a sign for the unbelieving Jew. It was for the means of converting the unbelieving Jew. And we find that through the, through the course of Scripture, that tongues was mentioned, and then all of a sudden, boom, it stops, as to show that it did indeed cease. It was for the propagation of the gospel as well. This language was here in this, this language, all in the same tongue. Why? So that way the gospel could go forth. But today, it has ceased. And we see that clearly, clearly from the Bible. But get it, don't miss out on, on, on what Acts 2 is all about. The Spirit of God has come and empowered them. Now they, we see Peter stands up and preaches with power and get it, thousands of people get saved. Why? Because the power made the difference. Let's say, Brother Nate, I'm going to pick on you. Let's say Nate, he, he decides to... to do pastor a favor and he's going to begin to vacuum the church before Sunday morning so he gets out the vacuum he begins to, to run it and he unwinds the thing and the, the, the cord and he begins to, to go all up and down the pews and you begin to enter and you, you see Brother Nate through the window and you see that he, he's going but there's one problem you don't hear the vacuum running I'm trying to think Brother Nate uh, I think you missed an important step and so as you follow the cord you see that that Brother Nate, he, he forgot to plug it into the power source. He forgot to plug it into the wall. What has he done? He's now just wasted all that valuable time. Why? Because he, he hadn't plugged in to the power. We get it many times as Christians, we're just like that. We live and operate our lives without the power of God. We try to raise our family without the power of God. We try to be the, the Christian that we, we are told to be without the power of God. Let me ask you, are you tapping into the power source? We have power. We are called to, to, to operate and, and work filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. Are you? Notice last, to become a church that the devil can't stop. Notice number three is recognize the unity of the church. Would you say that with me? The unity of the church. You see, the use and the unction of the church all stems back to this one word, unity. Because if there's not unity in the body of Christ, then get it, there's going to be no corporate prayer, and there's going to be no power. You see, see, when there's no unity, there's no prayer. When there's no unity, there's no power. And so we see, look at Acts chapter number 1, verse number, verse number 14. It says, these all continued with one accord here in the upper room. So here it is. The, the word accord means simply in harmony or agreement. What were they agreeing on? They were waiting for the Holy Spirit of God to come. And so they realized we must be in unity. And they had a unifying cause. It was the Spirit of God coming and empowering them to do and to live this thing of the Christian life. And so notice Acts 2 now. 
Verse number one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, get it very closely, for 10 days, here it is, this is still a, a reference point of this group, this 120 gathered in the upper room. When the day was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Here it was, they were living in unity. Philippians 2.2, 2, it says this, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. You see, unity is essential if the church is going to go forward for Almighty God. But get it, this is what the devil likes to do. Is he likes to take his ugly foot, stick it in the door of the church, and cause the church to be disunified. He not only knows that a church that doesn't pray isn't going to go forward, a church that's not tapping into the power source and guided by the Spirit of God and controlled by the Spirit of God is not going to go forward. But many times he starts with this very thing, causing disunity. And so we see here, according to the Word of God, it says having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. The devil would like to use little things to keep a church from going forward. Let's say Brother Thornton on Sunday, he, since he's not here, I'm going to pick on him, all right? Let's say Brother Thornton gets up and he, he gets ready to, to announce the, the number. He says, all right, everybody, let's turn to 355. Let's say this front group, they say, well, I, I don't really like 355. I, I, I want to sing song number one because one is, is important. And then let's say the back half of the group. You say, well, I don't like song number one or 355. And so I'm going to sing 129. And then let's say this back half over here says, well, I don't like any of those, and so I'm going to sing song number 490. And then this front half says, I'm going to sing song number 800. I don't know if there's 800 in your hymnal, but we could find out real quick. And so then Brother Thornton, he's all excited about the song that he chose, and he waves his hand, whatever a song leader does, and he brings us in with, with Miss Abby, and they go in and they sing, and let's say everybody begins to sing on a different song because that's what we wanted to do. How many think that that's going to be a beautiful sound? None of us. That, we probably would have to go get some hearing aids after that one, right? Uh, it wouldn't be a very pretty sound. And if we had any visitors, they definitely would never come back because they'd think, wow, why, why did that church sing all different songs at the same time? You see, it's such chaos. But get it, when we don't live in unity as the body of Christ, in the eyes of God... It's chaos. You see, no matter how much you try to serve, if there's not unity, then why are we serving? If there's not unity, then why even gather in this place? You see, the world out there, they know how to live in disunity. They know how to live in discord. They do it every single day. But we who are bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ come into a place and we live our lives without the unity that God calls us to. The Bible says in Philippians 1.27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast, get it, in one spirit and one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know the reason why we need unity in a church and the body of Christ? is because there are souls out there in desperate need of the gospel and salvation. 
But if God's house is not a house of unity, they will never hear. Never. Why? Because we're living in disunity. Let me ask you, what is it in your life that the devil has used sinfully to cause discord and disunity in your heart? Who is it in this room that you haven't gotten along with? Who is it in your mind when, when their name comes, comes to mind, you can't help but cringe because maybe you don't like who they are, maybe you don't like their personality, maybe you don't like things that they do. Who is it? But get it, the devil likes to use many different things. I could go through and I could begin to list all different things that the devil could use. But you know what it is. You know what's in your heart right now that's causing you to live in disunity. And understand, to God, He's ashamed of that. You see, to be a church that the devil can't stop, there must be unity. Can I just say, in the, the body of Christ, in, in the local church, there's always going to be something that you disagree about. Even this last year, there have been a few things that, that my own pastor has made a decision. I gracefully came, and I said, hey, what about this? And by the way, if there is something like that, you better go with the right attitude and the right heart. And say, hey, what about this? And my pastor made a decision contrary to what, what opinion I gave. And I had to be careful even in my own heart to say, man, why didn't you choose what I wanted to choose? What I thought you should do. But get it, understand this, that I don't have to give account for that church. My pastor does. And so why cause disunity in my own heart and in my own mind? Because ultimately, he's the one that gives an answer for that church. That's the same thing for your pastor. He's been here for four months. He's praying and he's asking God, God, would you guide, would you direct? And get it, God, as the, the, the good shepherd, has allowed him to be the under shepherd. He's entrusted him with, with this, this church, this body. And get it, as Hebrews said, that, that those in authority watch for your souls. This man right here, I know, he wants the very best for you. He prays, he desires for God. I've talked to him, and he says, man, there's so much, there's so much opportunity in Norfolk, and I agree. I drove around even today, praying and looking at the city and seeing all the different ones out and about, and I couldn't help, but there's so much religion, and there's so much going on that there's a city here that needs a solid gospel-preaching church. Let me ask you, are you willing to get behind your path? You see, what's amazing is we teach kids, kids, obey authority. Children, obey, obey, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, right? None of us would say, hey, I want my kids to grow up and to just disobey me and disrespect, disrespect me. But somewhere along the lines, I don't know why, but as we become adults, the authority that God places in our lives, many times what begins to happen is we think that we have the place to correct authority. And so what we begin to do, we just fly off, we say, we act, we do, because we don't like it, but get it, God is not blessed. And ultimately, if you have a problem with authority, ultimately, get it, you have a problem with Almighty God, because He's the one that's placed them in authority. But understand that that authority watches for your souls, that they love you. Let me ask it, who is it tonight that you need unity with. 
Who is it in your heart that, that you just had the wrong attitude towards and you need to go and get it right with them? Who is it? Get it. This is what the devil loves to do. Is he loves to get his foothold in a church by little things and cause disunity to diminish the light and the power of that church. Let me ask you, whose kingdom are you building? Are you building your kingdom? Or is it God's kingdom? You see, the telltale sign that you're trying to build your kingdom is when you live in disunity with others around you. But if you want to build God's kingdom, there must be unity. There must be prayer. And we must tap into the power source. And tonight, if there's been any aspect of this message that you say, wow, God, this has been not a characteristic of my life. Would you fall down?